So please turn to 2 Kings chapter 17 as we conclude our series on having a biblical worldview today. You know, I thought about worldview. I've always thought about worldview going back to college, but it hit me to preach on having a biblical worldview um, during a lot of these mass riots and mass protests and all that stuff that were happening. And I know that there were some peaceful protests and they became angry protests and then riots and cities taken hostage and all this other stuff. And it made me think, what does a biblical worldview teach about this? Why do we need police to begin with? And I hope that has caused you throughout this sermon series to think about what it means to think biblically about everything in the news and the media and education and TV and in newspaper. I already mentioned that to think biblically. What does a biblical worldview have to have to show about all of this? And in the last few days, you know, it's been a six part series. It had to be four parts, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And but I also had an intro and an intro sermon. Remember, I told you I exhorted you to be culture warriors, be culture warriors as you think about having a biblical worldview, as you act like the men of Issachar in First Chronicles 12, 32, who studied the culture so they knew how to respond. First Thessalonians 5, 17 through 22, that says, test everything, cling to the good, pray continually, abhor what is evil, think biblically about things. You know, we spent two weeks on good, on everything being created good, creation. Everything was created good. We talked about that for two weeks. And then for two weeks, we talked about depravity. Uh, the, the world has fallen. It's totally depraved. We are sinners. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot have a utopia society that's going to fix everything. We needed and need divine intervention. And then we had one week on redemption and then last week on restoration. But as I thought, you know, we could have... Six, six weeks of sermons or six weeks of Bible studies or Sunday school classes on each part. And what's a biblical worldview? We could, we could talk way more about our fallenness and depravity. Way more. In the book, How Now Shall We Live? by Chuck Colson and Nancy Piercy gets into that. What's a biblical worldview about many things of life? A biblical worldview about death. We're all going to die at some point. It's part of the fall. Why do we die? Why do we face these types of things? Because of the fall. It all goes back to Genesis in Genesis chapter 3. And sometimes we end up clinging to this life with no thought of eternity because we've lost the biblical worldview that we need redeemed and someday God's going to restore all things. He's going to make all things right and make all things new. Sometimes we just cling. We think we can just get heaven and, and, and perfection and we can get total happiness in our cars and in our money and in our houses and in our chocolate ice cream and in our food and in our football or in our sports and all that. And that's all part of clinging to this life, forgetting. It won't give us happiness. We're fallen. We need redemption. We need restoration. The biblical worldview teaches that. As America loses the biblical worldview, and for the most part it's, it's been gone... I don't know that we ever really had it, but as we lose it, we see clinging to this life. And it seems like we must beware of that. We must be beware of that. Certainly protect this life. Certainly wash your hands, social distance, all that, all the all that they're recommending, all that stuff. Certainly, if you need to, if you if you need to quarantine, obey those rules. Certainly protect this life. Certainly enjoy this life. 
even before COVID-19 and even after COVID-19 is not an issue. Uh, it's important that Christians enjoy this life. We need to enjoy this life. And, how, and Christians can have joy when no one else can. We can have joy in the Lord. Right? We can have joy because we're living the life with Jesus. We live with Jesus. We can have joy because the Holy Spirit's within us. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear when we know Christ. Jesus himself said, don't fear the person who can just take this body. Fear the person that can send your eternal life into hell. Listen, if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are born again. And we have eternal life in him. But we also have the fullness of this life now. John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Abundant life in Jesus. In John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the tree trunk, I say sometimes. We are, Jesus is a tree trunk. We are the branches. We are connected. We get our life from King Jesus. We get our life from him. Just like a tree branch gets its life from the trunk. We live with Jesus. And we can be content and at peace as long as we're with Jesus. Fear is damaging. Fear is dangerous. I'm glad Steve pointed that out and Amy acted. I'm glad Dr. Acton pointed that out because there's too many living in fear. And there's too many that tell me I'm fine being isolated. I'm okay. But then in weak moments or in conversation, I'll hear them talk about how depressing things are right now. God did create us to be isolated for a long, long, long time. We're not created to live alone. As a biblical worldview, we know that. We need each other. And we need physical, transparent community. We're going to be going to 2 Kings 17, verses 7 through 18 in a minute. You know, as I've said, over the last several weeks, we talked about having a biblical worldview. Uh, the biblical worldview goes like this. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. I hope that you have, you have that, that you can say it in your sleep now. You know, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Everything was created good. That's Genesis chapters 1 through 2. Creation fell. That's Genesis chapter 3. Uh, G, you know, and by the way, all of creation has fallen. Romans 8, 22 and 23 teaches all of creation is yearning for redemption. All of creation is fallen and awaiting, wanting redemption. You know, the, if, if, we, if we see a beautiful landscape now, just imagine how much more glorious and awesome it will be in the new heaven and new earth. All of creation is fallen. Jesus has redeemed us, that's John three sixteen. John 14, 6, Luke 9, 23, John 15, John 10, 10, all these other passages. But the world is still fallen. Someday, God will restore all things. I read a, I read a sermon, a real long sermon today, by Tony Rinke, at the he, he works with Desiring God. Um, and they had a sing conference with, with um, Kristen Getty and Keith Getty. And they kind of hosted a sing conference. They were going through it last year, and I think it's virtual now. So I got one of the sermons, and he talked about how the mass media and material, you know, they're, they're, they're taking away our longing for heaven, our longing for eternity. We try to duplicate heaven with, um, with, with, with TV and video games and movies and things like that. And, and he shared a quote, a paragraph of somebody who said, When was the last time your pastor preached on heaven? 
And I hope you remember that I did preach on heaven last week. You know, God is going to restore all things. Do we long for that day? We need to enjoy this life because we can be kingdom-minded right now, living with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit within us. But even when we enjoy this life, realize someday God's going to restore things. Someday God's going to make all things new, all things right. We've talked at great length about each of these parts of a biblical worldview. Why is there pain and suffering? This is because we live in a fallen world. Is this how things were meant to be? No, absolutely not. This is not how things were meant to be. God has a better plan, and when everything is restored, it's going to be perfect. Now, don't miss out. This is still within God's plan. It's not that God's plan failed or anything like that. God is going to restore all things. This is not how they were meant to be. We are redeemed by Jesus, but things are not restored yet. We need a divine intervention. We need police and government and all that type of stuff because we, we are in a fallen world. Someday, this is so powerful and so important. Someday, we will not have to vote for a president anymore. We will. Now, that's a great privilege, by the way. It's a great privilege. But someday, we will have a perfect leader, King Jesus, on the throne and things will be made right. There is racism and all kinds of bad stuff right now because we live in a fallen world. But someday God will make all things new and all things right. So what does it look like to lose a biblical worldview? What does it look like to forget God? In a way, it looks like our society right now. But... I'm going to give you an example from the Old Testament, from 2 Kings, verses 17, 7 through 18. And, and, and by the way, I need to add, the right thing is not to just, when we look at this passage, we're looking at why Israel fell, okay? I'm not trying to make the case that if America has a biblical worldview and we all have the right biblical worldview that we are going to replace Israel and be God's chosen people. No, absolutely not. The case I want to make is that when we follow the biblical worldview, things will naturally be better. We will still suffer. There will still be cancer and disease and illness and murder and violence and hate and still things like that. But it is God's way. It is God's way. And the thing in America right now is not to fix the culture by just legislation. No. What we need is Jesus. What we need is that people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And that transforms culture, one person at a time. And judgment begins with the house of God. Judgment begins with the church. So let's look at this. My theme is learn from Israel and don't forsake God. Learn from Israel and don't forsake God. I'm reading 2 Kings verses seven, um, chapter 17. 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 7 through 18. I'm going to... Pause a little bit as I read it just to kind of help you understand. Now this came about, now this came about because the sons of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God. I'm going to pause right there. You may ask, what's coming about? This is about the fall of Israel, the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel. I'm going to share more about it in a minute, but 
um, from about 930 BC to 722 BC, Israel was a divided kingdom, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. This is about the fall of the northern kingdom. And this is about why the northern kingdom were conquered. The northern kingdom had its capital, Samaria. The southern kingdom had its capital, Jerusalem. We're going to see right here, Samaria is conquered. The northern kingdom is conquered. And this is why it came about. Now, this came about because the sons of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God. Who had brought them up from the land of Egypt, from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And they had feared other gods. That really means they worshipped other gods. And they walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel. And in the customs of the kings of Israel which they had introduced. The sons of Israel did things secretly. Which were not right against the Lord their God. Moreover, they built for themselves high places in all their towns, from watchtower to fortified city. They set for themselves sacred pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every green tree. And there they burned incense on all the high places, as the nations did, which the Lord had carried away to exile before them. And they did evil things, provoking the Lord. The people of Israel are being like the other nations. They're doing evil. They're provoking the Lord. When it says they're burning incense on every high place, that means they're worshiping in, uh, the false gods, the demons, really. Verse 12, they served idols concerning which the Lord has said to them, you shall not do this thing. Verse 13, yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments, my statutes, according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you through my servants, the prophets. However, they did not listen, but stiffened their neck like their fathers, who did not believe in the Lord their God. They rejected his statutes and his covenant, which he had made with their fathers and his warnings with which he had warned them. And they followed vanity and became vain and went after the nations which surrounded them. Concerning which the Lord had, the, the Lord their God, um, concerning which, uh, I lost my place on my own stuff. Um, concerning which the Lord had commanded them not to do like them. They forsook all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves molten images. Even to calves. And made an Asherah. And worshipped all the hosts of heaven. And served Baal. Now they're worshipping the stars. Then they made their sons and their daughters pass through the fire. That's child sacrifice. And practiced divination and enchantments. And sold themselves to do evil on the side of the Lord provoking him. So. The Lord. Was very angry with Israel. And removed them from his sight. None was left except the tribe of Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel is conquered. The southern kingdom, Judah, will remain until about 586 B.C. Starting in 605 B.C., the southern kingdom of Judah will start being conquered. If you read through the Old Testament, 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles, you will see you know, that the writer, inspired by God, will write about the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. And there's a pattern that the kings of Israel continue getting more and more sinful and wicked and depraved. 
The kings of Judah go back and forth, back and forth. So let's look at why Israel fell. John Steinbeck, years ago, John Steinbeck wrote a letter to Adlai Stevenson. In it, he said, there is a creeping, all-pervading gas of immorality, which starts in the nursery and does not stop until it reaches the highest offices, both corporate and governmental. There is a creeping gas of immorality, total depravity. It begins in the nursery, where you are born with this sin nature, and it goes until death, and that means it impacts the highest offices of the land. We see the immorality reach a climax, and then the consequences right here. Israel has neglected the biblical worldview. Likewise, America... And let's call it the American church, because judgment begins with the house of God, is also leaving the biblical worldview. We as Christians must be different. We as Christians must test everything and hold true to a biblical worldview. We must be different. We must not compromise. If you read verse 6, 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 6, we read that the king of Assyria captured Samaria. Now, Samaria, as I said, was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. Imagine if our capital, Washington, D.C., was conquered by a foreign land. That is what happened right there. Their own capital was conquered. What we need to know at this point is that Israel and Judah had been separated. I've said that. They've had a divided kingdom since 930 B.C., It's now 722 B.C. John MacArthur writes the following. He says, The capture of Samaria marked the end of the northern kingdom. According to Assyrian records, the Assyrians deported 27,290 inhabitants of Israel to distant locations. That was their strategy. When Assyria would conquer a nation, they would take the people and spread them out so they can't join together and lead a revolt. And that's what he did. They did. They they deported 27,290 people. Sometimes those are called the lost tribes of Israel. We know they, they weren't totally lost because one of those lost tribes is referred to after Jesus' birth. But it seems as though most of them never really came back. Um, at least as a full tribe, as a united tribe, they did not come back. The relocation of populations was characteristic of Assyrian policy during that era. The Israelites were, were, were resettled in the upper Tigris, Euphrates Valley, and never returned to the promised land. God did what he said he would do. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, God said, if they forsake him, if they follow foreign gods, if they follow the ways of the other nations, they will be conquered. God said, if they obey him, they're going to conquer all these other nations in the promised land. God said, if you obey me, it's an if-then covenant. If you obey me, you're going to be so successful. He, he, in, the, in Deuteronomy, it talks like 10 people will chase 1,000 people and conquer them. But if you reject God, if you follow the other nations, it's going to be the opposite. You'll be conquered when you shouldn't even be conquered. Because God will be against them. That's what happened. That's what happened. Israel had lost their biblical worldview, and that is why God rejected them. Starting in verse 7, we see why Israel fell. Verse 7, now this came about because Israel had sinned against the Lord. The verse continues to share about their history. The Lord brought them up from the land of Egypt. The passage says they feared other gods. 
And what that likely means is they worship other gods. They worship the other false, fake deities. And I believe these other gods were really demons. They worshiped this demonic activity. They followed the other ways of the, the other nations, the other ways of the land. And do we do the same thing in our churches, in our church? Do we follow the ways of the world too much? Are we entertained by the ways of the world? Are we, are we being corrupted too? I challenge you, we need to test everything. We need to cling to a biblical worldview. We cannot condone sin. Not in the church. We need to love everybody, love everyone, for sure. But never condone what the Bible condemns. We must be different. Verse 8 continues what is going on. They walked in the customs of the nations. If you're following the, following the fill in the blanks in the bulletin, that's a blank. Customs. These were the nations that the Lord had driven out before them. Driven is another blank. But the kings of Israel even introduced these customs. Introduced is a third blank right there. The kings of Israel even introduced the worldly, depraved, um, idolatrous customs of the foreign lands. God had told them not to do this. In Leviticus 18.3 and Deuteronomy 18.9, both those passages talk about not being like the other nations, but they were. They were just like the other nations. They were just like the world. They were just like the idolatrous people groups they conquered. 2 Kings 16.3 says that, e that they even made their sons pass through the fire. That means child sacrifice. The Israelite people were even sacrificing their babies on the altar of Baal and these false gods. Imagine that. In January, we are going to be recognizing Sanctity of Life Sunday, and we'll have a Pregnancy Help Center video. And the week after that, I've um, scheduled the director of the Pregnancy Help Center to speak. She's going to speak in my Sunday school class, and at least for a couple minutes in the service. That is child sacrifice right there. Abortion. It's Christian to save babies. Christians and Jews have always been known as people that rescued the orphan, rescued the baby. But you know that in a lot of churches, there's condoning of abortion. The Southern Baptists are a much healthier denomination now. They've come back to the Word of God. But in 1970, they even approved abortion. At their conference. They've changed on that. They've reversed course. They've gone back to the Bible. That's child sacrifice abortion. And I heard a speaker at a Cedarville University chapel a few months ago. I was listening on my phone. Say that whenever you have idolatry and sexual immorality, eventually you have child sacrifice. Whenever you have idolatry and sexual immorality, you eventually have child sacrifice. Verse 9 shares that they did these things secretly. Back to 2 Kings 17, verse 9. They did these things secretly, which were not right, and these were against the Lord. Most likely, this had to do with speaking things against the Lord. They built high places, which were places of pagan worship. Places of pagan worship. We must always guard against what we do in secret. Nothing is in secret to the Lord. And as Numbers 32, 23 says, be sure your sin will find you out. John MacArthur shares in direct disobedience to Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. The Israelites built new raised altars in the Canaanite pattern after the temple was constructed. These high places were in all the habitations of Israel, from small fortified structures to large, large garrison cities, from the smallest to largest towns. The, <clears throat> the altars 
were on wooded hills with images representing false gods. These high places were places of pagan worship. These high places were places of child sacrifice. Israel wasn't to do that. Go back later and look up Deuteronomy chapter 12. God told them not to do that. Don't be like the people of the land. He called them to be a different people, a people called out. That's the idea of the church too, by the way. We are also called to be a different people, a people called out of the world. Jesus said you have to be in the world, but not of the world. We're called to be, actually, if I recall, the Greek word for church, Ecclesia, actually has the idea of a community called out, called out of the world. And verses 10 through 11 continue about their pagan worship. They set up sacred pillars, and it says ashram. Ashram would be wooden symbols of a female deity. So they, are, they have these wooden symbols of a female deity, much like kind of like totem poles in a way. So they were worshiping pagan gods. In the past, he said, they did that on every high hill and under every green tree. They did these things, which Exodus chapter 34, verses 12 through 14 warns against. Verse 11 says they burned incense. This would be a worship practice, but they were doing this to pagan deities. They did this on the high places, as the pagan did, pagans did. They did evil things, provoking the Lord to anger. And verse 12 shows that they served idols, even though the Lord said not to do that. The Lord warned them, but they would not listen. In verses 13 through 17, it says, The Lord sent his prophets and his seers, and the Lord warned them, but they would not listen. The Lord warned through the prophet and the seer. There's a subtle difference between a prophet and a seer. A prophet might be more characterized by a futuristic type message. But the Lord warned them through the prophets and the seers. The Lord also warned by his word. They had the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They have some of the prophetic writings. They were warned. But it says they just got more stubborn. They did not listen. I see that going on across the United States within our church today, right? We are warned. We're warned through the Word of God, right? We're warned through the Bible. We're warned oh, through, through Christian writers and pastors and teachers. And I talk to people at various churches who just don't want to listen to the Word of God, compromise the Word of God. We can't do that. We are warned. God's way is right. Our way is not right. How's it working for us in the American church? I'm going to say mainly the American church because the churches in the persecuted countries seem to be doing okay. How's it working for us rejecting God's ways, trying to invent our own way of interpreting the Bible and approving certain things that God called wrong? Jeremiah says that people no longer knew how to blush. I think that's true in a lot of our churches and across the United States. We need rebuked. We need reproved. We need to test everything and cling to a biblical worldview. This passage is what happens when a culture, and they were a religious group, Israel. They were God's chosen people. They still are God's chosen people, I believe. But it's a people that forgot God. Verse 15 picks up on this. They rejected the Lord's statutes, his covenant, which he had made with their ancestors. They followed like the other nations, though the Lord had warned them not to do like them. In verse 16, we see that they disobeyed the Lord's commandment about idols. They made idols, molten images, two calves, and Asherah, which was a wooden symbol of a female deity. They worshiped the stars and they served Baal. They worshiped the stars. 
Verse 17, we see how bad they got. They made their sons and their daughters pass through the fire. I already said that's child sacrifice. They practiced divination and enchantments that would not be of God. They sold themselves to evil in the sight of the Lord. They provoked God. In verse 18, we see that God gave them up. God had them conquered. Just like it was God who allowed them to take the promised land, it was God who had them conquered. Likewise, the American church is also leaving the biblical worldview. We as Christians must test everything. We must cling to the good, cling to the biblical worldview. We must abhor what is evil. Ask the Lord... God's working on me in these things too. And I have to ask the Lord, let me see sin the way that you see it. Let me see people the way the Lord sees people. We need to learn from Israel's mistakes. This passage is sad, but it is a reminder. Israel was taken into exile, just like the prophets had warned. Whatever God promises will come to pass. We must trust in the Lord today. When the Lord says there is punishment for sin, we must believe him. Verse 7 reminds the reader and us that the Lord had brought them out from Egypt. We must never forget the Lord provides for us. We must take time to give thanks to the Lord. We must take time to reflect on how the Lord provides. Verse 7 says, they feared or worshipped other gods. We must make sure that things and people do not become idols in our lives. Television must not be more important than God. Even good things like books and learning must not be more important than God. Work must not be more important than God. Video games must not be more important than God. Money must not be more important than God. People, even spouses and children, must not be more important than God. Stuff must not be more important than God. Allegiance to one's country must not be more important than God. And you need to realize, we need to realize, the designers of this stuff whether TVs or video games or cars, their goal is to make you love it, to love it, because they want you to buy it. So it's kind of natural that you end up worshiping it. That's part of the fallenness of their depraved society. And we must remind ourselves, no, God is on the throne. I worship God. Materialism will not bring salvation. Sports will not bring salvation. Work will not bring salvation. Sadly, a lot of us are into the worship of these idols way more than we realize. Do a self-check. How are you doing on your allegiance to God? How are you doing on your spiritual devotions, disciplines and devotions? How are you doing on your time, with your time with the Lord? Now, if you've missed three days this past week and you didn't spend time in God's word or time in prayer, certainly my goal is not to heap guilt upon you. But let me ask you this. Did you watch television that day? Do you enjoy TV? Nothing wrong with that. But there's something wrong with not spending time in God's word. Maybe you enjoyed breakfast, lunch, and dinner those days. No Bible, no breakfast. Or if your devotions are in the evening, no Bible, no bedtime. (laughs) 
Verse 8 shares that they became like the other nations. We must not be like the world. Friendship with the world makes us enemies of God. That's what James 4, 4 says. We must not be conformed to the world, but we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds so we can test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We should not be conformed to the world, which is naturally going to happen because we are in a depraved world. We must be transformed by God's word. Verse 9 shares that they did things secretly, which were not right. We must guard against secret sins. We must repent. Numbers 32, 23. Be sure your sin will find you out. Verse 13 shares that the Lord warned them. The Lord warns us too. We must repent when we hear a warning. The, we must repent when we hear warnings about our sins of omission or commission. Praise God that he gives us second chances. By the way, sins of omission are things that we don't do that we should do. Like not spending time in his word or not sharing the gospel. Sins of commission are things that we do that we shouldn't do. Must repent when we sin. Praise God that he gives us second chances. God gives opportunities to repent. God wants us to repent. God wants us to follow him. God wants us to have a relationship with him. And with him, he desires a relationship with us. Verse 15 shows that they rejected God's statutes, his roles, and expectations. They followed vanity. We must listen to the Lord and not allow vain, worthless things to corrupt us. We must follow the Lord. We must test everything. Israel was stubborn. They rejected God. They rejected his ways. They rejected the Lord's authority. They needed discipline to make them repent. One of my prayers for Bethel friends and the church across the United States is that we hold true to a biblical worldview. I know of a church. They were part of the Evangelical Friends Eastern Region. But in midsummer, the pastor came out saying he endorsed um, LGBTQ issues. He came out publicly and said he's okay with homosexuality. It's no longer a sin and things like that. Praise God, the denomination did what they were supposed to, and they immediately came in and, and, and took control of that church, basically. And the pastor stepped aside, and so did the associate pastor. Unfortunately, they're starting their own church down the road, which is condoning of homosexual sins and homosexual lifestyles and homosexual marriage and LGBTQ issues. Again... That's an example of rejecting the Bible. We must cling to a Christian biblical worldview. Uh, Many years ago, James Dobson. James Dobson led folks in the family. I've learned a lot from James Dobson. Well, he told a story of a 10-year-old boy. This 10-year-old boy was at the pediatrician, and he was a stubborn boy, stubborn 10-year-old boy. And he needed some cavities taken care of in his teeth. And the the pediatrician knew that, that most dentists would not do too well working on this 10-year-old disobedient, rebellious, undisciplined boy. So the, the, the pediatrician said, I know one seasoned dentist. He's an older dentist, and I think he'll be able to do okay taking care of your, your son's cavities. So the mother takes her 10-year-old boy, and, and the boy goes into the dentist's office, and the dentist says, get in the chair. And the boy says, no. And the dentist says, get in the chair. And the boy says, no, I'll take off my clothes. Dennis says, okay, fine. The kid takes off his clothes, his shirt, his pants, his shoes, his socks. Then he gets in the chair. The dentist says, open your mouth. The boy says, no. The dentist says, do it. 
The boy says, I'll take off the rest of my clothes. The dentist says, fine. The boy takes off the rest of his clothes. <laughs> the dentist does the work on his mouth, takes care of the cavities. He says, you're done. You can go to your mom now. The boy says, give my clothes back. The dentist said, no. <laughs> the dentist said, no, you're not getting your clothes back. Your mom can pick them up tomorrow. So the boy walked out, you know, totally naked, past the waiting room. Of course, he's a child. Past the waiting room, mom takes him home. Mom comes back the next day and wants to talk to the dentist. The mom says, doctor, I want to thank you for what you did to Robert yesterday. For as long as I can remember... He has threatened us with just about everything. But his favorite threat has been that he'll take off his clothes if he doesn't get his way. You're the first person that has ever called his bluff. And he's already, in 24 hours, become a different child. The child needed discipline. I know that same story in today's world would find the dentist in jail. One person writes, but that's the problem. We're asking kids permission to change their diapers and having to, sue, having to sue to get them to leave their bedroom. We must cling to a biblical worldview. We are a society that's lost a biblical worldview. We've lost rule and authority. We have lost discipline. We have lost right and wrong. We must repent. We must seek the Lord. We must share the gospel. We must test everything. And I have one other illustration Dr. Albert Moeller shared this in his briefing podcast this past week. Maybe you've heard it. Amazon Studios is making a series on The Lord of the Rings. J.R.L. Tolkien wrote The Lord of the Rings, and he had such a strong Christian worldview in The Lord of the Rings. And this illustration that I'm about to tell you shows that nothing is off the table. The secular world wants to corrupt everything. So Amazon Studios is determined to update The Lord of the Rings with something that was specifically left out in any explicit form of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. And that is sex and nudity. Sex and nudity. As is now being reported, Amazon Studios has hired Jennifer Ward, Jennifer Ward Leland. Get this, a respected intimacy coordinator. The New Yorker tells us that it is her job to oversee sex and nudity scenes and ensure that everyone is comfortable during filming. The Lord of the Rings. Gerald Tolkien wrote that. The great book series with a strong gospel parallel, you know, a strong gospel allegory within that. J.R.L. Tolkien, in Al Mohler's briefing, and I could share this with any of you, he read from a letter that J.R.L. Tolkien wrote to his son when his son was in adolescence. It was like 1941, and his son, uh, J.R.L. Tolkien himself, wrote to his son about being aware of temptations and being aware of the temptations of lust. And J.R.L. Tolkien wrote to his son, you know, about the sinfulness that could happen there. J.R.L. Tolkien valued purity. And yet somehow, and somehow legally, Amazon Studios is flipping the purpose of Lord of the Rings. We must test everything. We must cling to a biblical worldview. We must pray continually. We must give thanks in all circumstances. We must abhor evil and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we must pray. More than anything else, we need you. We need your way. We need your will. We need your guidance. Lord God, I pray that... Battle friends, members, and attendees will cling to a Christian worldview. I pray, our Lord, that we truly will test everything. We truly will pray continually. We truly will cling to a Christian worldview. We will give thanks. Oh, Lord, help us be thankful people, so thankful as people, and help us to 
abhor what is evil. Lord God, first and foremost, when we turn our lives over to you, when we recognize we are a sinner in need of a Savior, you are the one and only Savior. May we believe that. May we trust and commit to you as Lord and Savior. May we live the Christian life with you, following you. You are the hope of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.